You're listening to the Great Day in Sales Podcast, brought to you by Alicia. All right, Dave Boyce, thanks for being here with us. Thank you, Justin. Awesome. Good to be here. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, it's fun for me because you're actually a professor of mine. BYU MBA program. You You'd teach. never know it. Ah. I, look so, I look so young. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, one of my favorite courses, obviously, you know, sales, it may have been the moment I actually got really interested in sales. So okay. I love how you taught it. You used a lot of cases, which yep. was fantastic. Yep. You know, a lot of real challenges there. And I loved it. So now I'm, I'm like doing a podcast interview with fat, fascinating, really excited for that. So thanks for having me. And you come in today uh, with a topic, obviously, and it's around PLG. Now, we're going to talk a lot around a sales motion, what that looks like for a SaaS company or a range of different companies. Why don't you walk us through first kind of your experience in sales, where you've been, where you got your ch- sales chops over the years? Yeah. Why, don't, why don't you tell us about that? Well, I realized uh, before I went back to business school, I was a consultant and I realized that even in a consulting firm, like it's all about sales. It is, And I just realized everything is about sales. You're selling internally, you're selling to partners, you're selling to y- your colleagues, you're selling externally, you're selling to the market. It's like, this is really like, t- to make a business go, you need to be good at selling. And uh, I went back to business school and then I joined started two companies while I was in business school that was rapid fire like get mm-hmm. it get it started yeah, wind it down get it give some money back get another one started <laughs> and then I joined a very very young startup called profit logic uh, ran the marketing and uh, business development functions for profit logic we sold that to Oracle at Oracle I had a sales role global sales role um, uh, for all the products that we sold into retail I ran product strategy and I had a sales overlay team and then, um, yeah, and then I'm just a glutton for punishment. Went back, founded another company um, called Fundly that's um, basically raised money for your own cause. And uh, that was a more of a product-led growth company. I had to relearn a bunch, like re- learn what, it, you know, how you get people to adopt your product without a sales team. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then we sold that company, uh, and then I went to Inside Sales, which uh, was a sales-led uh, company again, and I've just become convinced through all of this that it's not either or, but product has to carry water for the go-to-market function. It has to. If these two things are in silos, w- you're in a really bad spot in today's world. Interesting. So over those years, you've been in PLG, you've been in sales. You're sitting around cocktail party. Someone says, "Hey, Dave, tell us about kind of one of those memorable moments in sales." What What's the story that you tell? Typically, well, when I was a uh, I still am a punk, but I'm not young. When I was a young punk, um, I had the job, and this is at Profit Logic, and we had, you know, um, you know, we were coming up against it, like, and we and we were, I don't know, four months away from missing payroll. We were trying to raise a new round. We needed that round to land, and we needed, um, and and we had an investor on the hook, and that investor said, okay, you need in order to for us to fund you, a couple of conditions. One of those conditions was you need to land your next deal with JCPenney. We already had a deal for $3.6 million, and they loved that. But we were talking about this next deal that was in the pipeline, and they said, you got to land that deal, and then we will fund you. So here I am at JCPenney headquarters in Plano, Texas. We had we had mapped out everything on the whiteboards. This this is a good and bad story. It ends, it ends well, but also not well. <laughs> we're yeah. here for it, yeah. But here... Um, so we had mapped out everything on the whiteboard about the software that we could build for them. 
software that's related to the first product we had sold them, but didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And then I had mapped out in, in stellar MBA fashion all of the benefits that were going to come from this in a spreadsheet. So we had the whiteboard diagrams, we had the spreadsheet, we had the ROI, and then they invited us to their corporate dining room. I didn't know these things existed. White linen tablecloths, people in white jackets serving us lunch. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, maybe it doesn't exist anymore, and I think JCPenney probably doesn't exist maybe anymore. Not, yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, and so we're sitting there, and I'm with this young punk, you know, 31 years old or sure, whatever, sure. and um, and they ask me, okay, so we'd like to move ahead, we'd like to see your proposal. So I like, pull out my laptop, they probably didn't want to see that, and I'm going through it, and I say, $20 million. And the guy stands up out of his chair, and he's like, I don't know, I, I don't know what you know about software, but we don't pay $20 million for software. Wow. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, but you've seen the business case, you know what the benefits are, like happy to talk about it. And I was like, okay, well I just lost that. But he sat back down and then I was like, okay, I think we're gonna have a conversation. Long story short, we sold the business for $6 million. Okay. Um, we got the funding round and then the rent and then we were able to sell that company uh, to Oracle a couple of years later. But the um, the bad part of this is the software didn't exist. I was selling futures. Yeah. We sold the whiteboard for $6 million. And then we had to go chase that with our product development cycles and, and get it to stick and get it to work. And of course, the promise from JCPenney was we're going to be your best reference and we're going to tell people about mm. it. We're going to help you sell it beyond. And of course, they wanted to do that so they could pay $0. And I wanted $20 million and we settled at $6 million. But I'll tell you... Um, there were pluses and minuses with getting that deal done. Um, we chased that. We chased the delivery of that deal for over two years wow. before we got something that they were willing to sign off on. Yeah. Wow. I think very few people could say they close a deal in the JCPenney dining hall. <laughs> That's wild. Well, great. Interesting. So, so selling futures, and obviously you you know you went through your career and you end up at Inside Sales, kind of one of those premier early somewhere. Now there's sales tech stack is is huge there's a solution for most things now you were early in inside sales what was that experience like i think a lot of people watching a utah company you know that's something that i feel like people could be interested in what your experience was was there yeah inside sales was a big promise with lots of potential mm. we did not meet our potential i think that's probably the headline on it mm. like we we had a very critical when i joined i was attracted coming out of fundly i was attracted because inside sales was selling was was a high velocity selling mm -hmm. motion yeah on its own selling to kind of small and medium businesses who also were employing high velocity selling motions so we understood it well we practiced it we practiced what we preached and we were working with customers who did that um, and we were able our cost of acquisition was very low and our uh, activation was very automated and mm -hmm. we were modeling ourselves after HubSpot okay cool HubSpot um, Right at about the same time, maybe a year or two after I joined, they decided to go one direction, and we decided to go another direction. Mm. HubSpot went, and we weren't competitors, but we were growing up kind of sure, in parallel. Sure. HubSpot decided to go PLG. They carved out a team, and they built a self-service product. Funny enough, exactly in our space. Yeah. A self-service product that, that built email and phone cadences, and we decided... No, we're going to go after the big dogs. We're going to we're going to hire the president of Salesforce, which we did, and 
and then four or five other executives from Salesforce, and we're going to go sell yeah. to we're going to sell to to Citrix and Verizon and American Express, which we did, and we got these big contracts. But we did the same thing that I did at uh, at J.C. which is we sold the promise. We sold the promise, and every time we sold a big footprint, it would take us some time to digest that. Mm-hmm. And some of those things would also have product commitments built into them, assumptions about, you know, a conversation like this. Well, does your product do this? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I never thought of it, but I guess it could. I think it could, actually. I think it could do that. Yeah, in fact, it could. In fact, let me get a product person in here, and then we get the product person to come in, and the product person would say, "Well, it wasn't really built for that, but we could blah 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 blah." Mm-hmm. So now I got a now I got a set of promises to this customer, and then I got a set of promises to this customer, and then I got a set of promises to this customer. Now I've stacked. Now my product managers are not developing for the market anymore; they're just mm-hmm. chasing promises that yeah. we've made, and we ended up just getting wrapped around the axle because of how good we were at selling. And that is what convinced me that there's got to be a balance. It cannot be all one or all the other. Awesome. Pause. I'm making sure we're we're, stream, we're rolling here. Okay. It's going fantastic. So this is awesome. we can cut anything out, but I'm just noticing my computer went dark, which shouldn't happen, I don't think. Nope, we're still going. Just I guess the computer will turn off. So awesome. There you go. Um, great. Yeah, so there's a blend. PLG and sales can work together. You've amazing going through your experiences and kind of the things you've learned and the reality is it's hard to just go all in on one and not have some type of motion in the other so now what you're doing you're you're writing a book you're doing a number of things that kind of promote the plg side of things so just kind of walk us through how you see those two working together and then we can we can kind of lean more into what PLG looks like specifically, but walk us through kind of, okay, you have a sales motion, you have this PLG motion. How do those two work together? Okay, so for this book... Right. Product that sells itself. Product that sells itself. This is not the book. This is five chapters out of the book. Right. I interviewed uh, Kip Bodnar, who was... I interviewed a bunch of executives who built PLG into their motions, but Kip is one of them. He's a CMO of HubSpot who was there when they built that competing product against inside sales, and he told me how they did it. And the, you know, the key to product-led growth is you invite users to experience the product before they commit. Yes. Okay. Okay. Following. Yep. So they built a product. It was not Sales Hub. It was a separate product that they just wanted people to use. They used their inbound marketing tactics to invite customers in. And there are three principles that I go over in the book, these are mine, that of product-led growth. Mm-hmm. One is empathy for the end user. I really need to understand who she is, what she cares about, how she gets her job done, what she's trying to accomplish. Second is generosity. Cool. Here. Take it. Yeah. What do I owe you? Nothing. When do I pay you? Mm-hmm. Never. Like, just use it. Yeah. So HubSpot did that with their uh, sales product. And then, um, and then instrumentation. Because I don't have a salesperson in the room during those initial onboarding experiences, I need to know what's going well and what's not going well so that I can tune it. So if you think about kind of the the customer journey, if I've, that thing's got to have zero friction for somebody right. to get through it without any assistance. So how am I going to know where they are having friction? It's not like I built it perfectly the first time or the second time or the third time. There's going to be friction in there. And I'm going to see the friction because I've got it instrumented. 
I use particular um, uh, tagging of events and instrumentation and measurement to see where people are getting stuck and where they're getting stuck is where I'm going to go in and make adjustments. I'm going to remove gates or remove um, requirements or remove options. Oh, now it's smoothing. So the way I like to think about it is I'm, I'm developing these products for my mom. I'm not trying to confuse her with extra features. I'm trying to help her succeed. I'm trying to, anything that's going to be confusing, I want to get out of the way. And anything that's going to help her get on what I call the self-service happy path is what I want to do. Now, what HubSpot did and what, I, what a lot of companies do is, now I got thousands of people on the, on the self-service happy path. Which of those thousands of people work for companies that I would like to have a paying contract with? Maybe 10% of them, maybe 20% of them, maybe 30% of them, if I'm doing a really good job at targeting. Okay, cool. And of those 30%, how many of them are already succeeding to the point where it would be very helpful for me to engage as a salesperson and say, hey, I see, I see you're um, achieving this with the product. I'd like to you know, be helpful in any way I can. Is there any way that we can expand this? I learned some things about their use case. I learned some things about what they're succeeding with. And then I say, all right, cool. How can we how can we help you expand that impact across the company? Sometimes that conversation is up a level. Mm -hmm. It might not be the user that's using it right now, but it might be her boss or it might be her boss's boss. But now I understand. I've developed empathy for how she's created value, and now I have something to tell her boss about how things are going with my product in their company that her boss doesn't already know. So that is product-led sales. That is where these two things come together. Long answer to your short question. That's where these two things come. Start on the self-service happy path, cherry-pick the customers that are succeeding, and then go in with a helpful mindset on how can I help you expand impact. Product-led sales. So obviously, great expansion opportunity there. Bring in more champions, more buyers, more stakeholders, decision-makers, essentially, yep, right? That's right. Um, I want to go back to where you would kind of said, you know, we talked about selling on futures, and then you mentioned HubSpot even bringing in something that wasn't necessarily operational, but they had some type of a sandbox or something. Was that a wireframe? Or like, how do you kind of get in front of customers before building that product-led motion, right? Oh, okay. How do, you, how do you get in front of them to make sure, hey, you mentioned you don't want any friction. You don't want it. How do you kind of talk to your customers ahead of time to make sure you're building things out accordingly? Okay. Well, you know, we launched something... We launched something that we call a minimum viable product. Right. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. Before we launch that, we will do a wireframe. We will do kind of a low resolution um, prototype, because when we're developing that empathy for the customer, we really want to kind of put it in front of her and say, like, okay, I understand. You, here's what you told me your job to be done is. What if you had something like this? And then she'll say, well, I probably. Oh yeah, I kind of. I get that but that's not how I would think about it. And then we make some notes and we change it a little bit. So before we build anything, we've done those interviews. We get to a point where we actually think that we have a, an idea of what's going to work, and then we do a minimum viable product. Minimum viable product actually works. Like I can get into it. Someone can log in and start playing with it. Is it good enough for me to charge money for? Maybe not. Is it ready for prime time? Probably not. But if I have it instrumented, then when people come in, I can see where they're getting stuck, and I can tune it. And over time, I can tune it. It gets better and better. It gets smoother and smoother for people to use the product. And then over, then at some point, I'm like, you know what? I think we're ready to put a uh, to put a convert to paid option in here, a pro option or a Teams option or something. And now I've got kind of a commercial engine that I can start scaling. Yeah, and that you feel like 
is that an opportunity? Do you, do you try to keep it all in on the platform, those transactions, or do you bring in sales based on the size of the deal? Where where does sales kind of step into that? Yeah. So um, I may or may not build this product in my core platform. I think that was your first question. Sometimes, and HubSpot did this too with Website Grader, I'll build a sidecar product, which is to say it has not, it's not even in, in fact, they did this twice. They did it with HubSpot Grader. I think they did it with Yeah, I'm familiar. Facebook yes. Grader. High, high value. Yeah, high yeah. value, not part of the, but I'm getting people into, um, MuleSoft did this as well with Data Loader before they sold to Salesforce. Product off to the side creates high value, high empathy, high generosity, no monetization, but I'm pulling people into my ecosystem and now I have an opportunity to engage with them uh, with sales. But you can also do it in such a way that that sales is engaging just on the core platform. So there's an in, there's an on-ramp onto the platform that's really easy, self-service happy path, people get successful on it, and then I have triggers. And those triggers will fire to the sales force that says, hey, we got a big customer in here, it's called Delta Airlines. We've got two teams active, four people on one team, 11 people on the other team. Their, their usage patterns look good. Trigger. Time to talk to them. And now a salesperson is talking to an existing customer, not a prospective customer, an existing customer, and then working her magic to get up to the decision-making layers. Once she's built an understanding of what's happening with those two teams, she's got a story to tell to the decision makers and she can roll that up into, you know, a great company in Utah that, that built exactly this way is Lucid. Lucid built exactly this way. You know, when Dan Cook came in as the first, as the first head of sales, his first calls were to existing customers. What's better than that? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I like going through those different options of creating something that's really high value, maybe doesn't take a lot of time to build, but you know for your ICP, right, for your ideal customer, it's going to be really meaningful to them. And maybe you don't put a price tag on it, but you bring people in with a, a free offer. And we see that, you know, in marketing, we see that all the time, free download, and that's like, I mean, that's no code, right? Not right. even low, that. Right. But, but you're suggesting here, which I think is fantastic, is let's bring them in. We've seen them all over. Love the reference of HubSpot and, and kind of that SEO checker and things like that, you know. Bring them into the platform. Give them something meaningful. You mentioned Lucid as well. And then there's a trigger to know the best, and which that'll probably also take some time to evaluate as well, right? You you introduce sales too early. Ah, I can kind of get rubbed the wrong way. Yep. You know, maybe that traction you were building kind of, kind of, Peter's off, right? You know, there's a lot of a lot of things to track there, so I bet there's an adjustment there. Um, and I love, you know, what salesperson wouldn't love to already sell to a current customer? Yeah. You know, whether they're on free or what, you know, they're spending time in the platform. Are they ready to take the next level? That's really the most qualified lead there is, right? Yeah, there's an MQL that means they've read some stuff, right? They've engaged in some things. They've attended some webinars. They've accrued a kind of engagement score that qualifies them as a marketing qualified lead. And then there's a PQL which means they're actually in my product and their actual usage of their product is now firing off a trigger that makes them a product qualified lead. Product qualified leads convert at double, over double what MQLs do for the reasons that you just said. Like they're already a customer. They, we've, they've already proven by them sticking around and coming back over and over that this is actually working for them. So now it's just a conversation about expanding. So I wanna talk a little bit more about your book, but first I wanna ask the question, after we've gone through product-led sales, uh, a full only sales motion, product-led growth, all these options, what does a great day in sales look like 
to you, Dave Boyce. <laughs> well, a great day in sales, in my opinion, starts with I found, this is my opinion, and it would take a while for any of your listeners, listeners to figure out how to make this day happen, but this is a great day. You found a job at a product-led company, which means your product is very good, and your product is usable even without me in the room and your product can sell itself, it can actually transact expansions, renewals, and even initial sales all by itself. You say, well, well, that doesn't sound like a good day in sales. You don't have a job. No, I do have a job, but my job is not pushing paper. <laughs> my job is not chasing signatures. My job is helping. My job is engaging with those customers that are already customers to help them take the goodness that they already have and expand it. So I think a good day in sales is when Instead of me going down a list of who I'm going to cold call or a list of who I'm going to warm call because they're an MQL, I'm going down a list of who I'm going to hot call because they're already products, they're, sorry, they're already customers, and I just get to scoot around to their side of the table, let them show me how they're using the product. That's a cool call. That doesn't feel like a sales call. Then I get to go find their boss and say, hey, I was just talking to Justin. He was telling me how he was using this in marketing. Um... I wonder if this could be useful across a bigger footprint at your company. I'd love to help you. Well, now she says, oh, I know Justin, and I didn't know he was doing that. And Okay, so so it feels like I'm a concierge or a coach, mm -hmm. not, not a salesperson. I'm not saying how much do you want to sell. I'm saying how can I help you or how much do you want to buy. I'm saying how can I help you. And, I'm help and so for me, that's a great day in sales. Now, we're, we, don't, we don't all work for those companies. A lot of our products – either are not great or they will be great soon or like in the JCPenney example, they don't exist yet. But we can still adopt some of those mindsets when we go in. And a, you know, a mindset of empathy and generosity should come natural to a salesperson. That's why we got in this business. Yeah, well, and the, the notion that you can have a successful company or product based on just people, a sales team, doing all of the outreach, all of the conversations – all of the selling just that, that doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, it's right. can you get them into the product? Can you give them a meaningful interactive demo? Can they get as qualified as possible before even talking to a sales team? So I love that definition of yours. It's just, you know, in an ideal world, really you're bringing those people and they're they're extremely qualified having been on the platform already and it's a great product. You're selling, you know, a great day in sales is you've got a great product to sell. Love I really that. think so. And sometimes we fight it. For, speaking from the you know, with my sales hat on. Sometimes we fight it. Sometimes we say, I don't want a free product on the website. I don't want our prices all over the website. I don't want free demos. I don't want self-service. That takes away from my territory. Mm. But to me, that's the wrong That's the wrong lens on it. I do want those things. I want people to use it. I want them to spread the word about it. I want it to be so easy. I want product to be able to get people as far down the path as they can. And then I'll come in and I'll do the upsells and that elevates me. It's almost like the industrial revolution for software. I don't have to be the machine anymore. I'll let the product be the machine. I'll let it process signatures and, and do transactions and do expansions. I'm going to operate the machine. I'm going to come in and operate the machine. I don't need to grab a hoe and plow a field. I'll, I'll actually, you know, and be the machine itself. I'll use a mechanical uh, plow or a tractor and I'll get way, 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 way more uh, ground covered because I let the product do some of the work for me. Yeah. I love it. Love it. So 
going to to kind of wrap things up here, Dave. Want to give you a chance to just one other thing from your book, something that you'd love for people to know. Obviously, you kind of have you've shared a little bit of a few chapters with us in a pre-release, and you've got this great book coming out. What's something you kind of you'd like to leave behind, or, or you'd like people well, to like to you know said? About? It's a pre-release. Um, it maybe you can put this in the show notes, but it's got a QR code. It goes to my Substack that I'm releasing content in a true PLG standpoint, ungated. So, you know, you can follow along as we go. I'm working with the publisher now, but it won't be out till 2024. So how do I get information now? Take this right book. There. If you can't get this book, you follow on the Substack. And we go over all this, product-led sales, product-led growth, um, product-led growth outside of, the so- of software. Where's it going to go from here? And then if I don't have product-led growth today, how do I build it in? to a scaled company. I interviewed a bunch of leaders, including HubSpot, including MongoDB, including Unity Software, who were already over $100 million, and then they went back and built in product-led growth. Awesome. Well, great. Well, Dave, thanks for coming on the podcast. Really excited to have you. Obviously, your your career, your experience is just fantastic talking to you. So thank you. Uh, good luck with your book. Thanks, and Justin. Yeah. We'll, we'll stay connected. And, Amazing. And, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again real soon. Keep crushing it, my friend. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening to the Great Day in Sales podcast. Check us out at podcast.alicio.ai or anywhere you stream podcasts.